0: Here's your new best friend about pets, Angela Ardolino.
1: Hey everybody, it's A Dog's Life with Angela Ardolino, And today I am joined by another fantastic integrative vet. And those of you who've been listening for a while know that integrative vets are my favorite. And um, I guess I want I wanted to make sure that you guys understand what an integrative vet is. This is a vet who either in school or got out of school, knew that there was more out there that they wanted to learn um, so that they could help their pet patients. And I love this because these are the type of vets that hear something. Um, either from their pet parents or from colleagues, and they don't just ignore it. They go and they research and look into it, and sometimes they find something that's really incredible, and then they just throw themselves into it, and I love this, and we're lucky enough today to have one of those vets with us, so hello, Dr. Kendra Pope. Thank you so much for joining us today. I'm excited to talk to you about some of these holistic and integrative remedies that you have already worked
2: with and found. Hello, thank you. I'm excited to be here and with the community. So, yeah, absolutely. Cool. So, what, like, when you're in school,
1: you, sh- I'm sure you know that there's some something called integrative medicine. How
2: does, how did you hear about it, and how did you go? Hmm, I want to know more about that. I think your description of what an integrative veterinarian is is actually really interesting, um, and I will answer your question. But I want to make a comment about it because it's so true. You know, a lot of the criticism of integrative and holistic and alternative and complementary types of medicine is that it's not based in science, it's not evidence based, that it's um, criticized because uh, the way that we're taught in conventional medical school is not aligned with these types of therapies, but what you said about how integrative practitioners are always learning is so true. There's so many modalities to learn about that if you fall down the holistic rabbit hole, you essentially are committing to a lifelong journey of learning new things. And as a veterinarian, you do that also but I think part of the reason there's so much burnout in the community is because eventually you just get into the system of just doing what you know, because that's easy. Always having to learn new things and do new things is actually from a brain perspective, an efficiency perspective, not ideal. Um, so I've never heard someone describe it that way. And you're absolutely positively right. Um, and I find that to be such a juxtaposition to the criticisms. Um, so I love that. Um, And to answer your question, actually, um, in veterinary medicine, we do a terrible job of exposing veterinarians to what integrative holistic modalities are. And there's a study that showed in human medical schools, about 90% of medical schools expose their students. That doesn't mean they teach them anything about it, but they expose them so that they can answer basic questions when they're out in clinical practice. But in veterinary school, it's only about 50%. So that means that 50% of veterinarians are graduating and they don't even understand what acupuncture does, which is like the most basic thing. Um,
1: So I tell people that that all the time, as you know, I'm a cannabis expert when it comes to pets and it's not the professors or the school that invite me to talk to the students. It's the students who invite me. Like I saw that you, weren't you a president of your class Mm -hmm. um, that I want, I want the listeners to understand is that, you're very special and thank you for doing what you're doing. And there's not very many of you, but these students who are there asking questions that makes no sense. And then they go out and they invite these experts to come in and talk to you. Exactly what you said, just exposure. That's it. It's just exposure, something to go, hmm, plant medicine, interesting. Nutrients, hmm therapy interesting food therapy Hmm, what a concept because as my listeners know you're not taught about diet and nutrition in conventional vet school that's something you need to go out and learn yourself and thank goodness there's something like the chi institute which i know that you attended what is that tell us about the chi institute
2: yeah so um There's many different places that you can go to get integrative training along your journey, you know, however that is. And the Qi Institute is a formalized educational, um, you know, um, foundation, you know, entity that allows for many, many veterinarians to get exposure to traditional Chinese veterinary medicine. Um, It's, a gateway for a lot of people to learn acupuncture um herbal therapy um something called food therapy um twina which is essentially kind of a mix between massage and acupressure and so it's a really great place to um he's done dr shea who's my very first mentor Um, has done an amazing job of making it more acceptable, um, allowing more people to kind of dip their toe in the holistic pool and learn more about it and get interested. They offer scholarships for students, which is how I started. I started at the Chi Institute before I'd even graduated veterinary school. So um, I I teach there. One of my courses that I teach is through the Chi Institute. So there's um, many different places you can try, but you'll find a lot of veterinarians have at one point in their career ended up at the Chi Institute.
1: And so, what are some of the things that you've learned there? What are you, do you get certified in them? Like you get taught there and then you're certified?
2: So, as of right now, there are no um, board certifications in any holistic modalities, like there are if you were a veterinary surgeon or a veterinary oncologist, like myself. So, right now, there's just different types of um, degrees that you can earn certifications, graduate diplomas, stuff like that. So at the Qi Institute, um, you can get certified in acupuncture, in Chinese herbal therapy, and food therapy, in Tweenaw, like the others I'd mentioned. there's actually They've actually been accredited uh, as an educational institution, and you can get a master's degree in traditional Chinese medicine, which is amazing. Um, and then they have lots of advanced courses, advanced acupuncture. I teach the integrative oncology course. There's an integrative neurology, ophthalmology. Um, there's so what, always- is that? what does that look like? an oncology course Mm -hmm. that is
1: based in traditional Chinese medicine. What does that Mm -hmm. look like? And, and do, when you do get a cancer patient, what do you turn to first? Like, what is your first steps?
2: Mm -hmm. So the course is basically myself and another integrative oncologist who um, are teaching it. And it's designed for other practitioners to basically help them in treating these these patients because um, the majority of the time, probably about 70% of my patient population have cancer. And then I do get another percent of my population that are coming to me for chronic disease. So what I reach for first um, is actually always food because there's no amount of supplements or nutrients that you can give that can fix a patient if they're on a bad diet. Mm -hmm. So the first thing is always food. Amen. Um, (laughs) <laughs> yeah that's the foundation of everything. Um anybody who has any interest in um you know their health understands that it really matters what you eat. And the funny thing is, is that somewhere along the way, the veterinary profession, this is a Karen Beckerism, the veterinary profession became the only profession that encourages processed diets for their patients. And so um that's always the first thing that we do. I'm lucky enough that probably about 25%, maybe more than that, come in on non-processed diets, and so they understand. But all the rest of them are willing to change. So nobody in my practice is on processed food. Um, So that's the first thing. And then the second, third, fourth, fifth, tenth is dependent on what's going on. Some patients are very far down the journey and they're very sick and very imbalanced. And some patients are just doing preventative care. And so it's easier. So it really just depends on, you know, we have this huge toolbox and it just depends on what's right. And that's determined by the patient in front of you.
1: Awesome. Um, We're going to take a short break, but when we come back, I'd love to talk to you about some of your biggest successes, like maybe some of your first cases where you were at the first time trying some of these holistic modalities and what you saw in these patients when we come back
0: it's a dog's life we'll be back once we take our sponsors out for a short walk elevate your every day with that suggy's feeling with the sweet taste of suggy's add a cup of suggy's to your morning coffee Ah, Stop barking up the wrong tree. We're back with more of It's a Dog's Life with Angela Ardolino, only on Cannabis Radio.
1: Okay, we are back with Dr. Kendra Pope, and we're talking about holistic modalities, especially in oncology. Um, I I don't know if you know this. I have um, treated several dogs with cancer, but right now I have one of my sole dogs. My Doberman has osteosarcoma, which I'm treating holistically. And, of course, diet. It's all about the diet. Um, Mm -hmm. what are some of the things that you've seen, uh, work? And I know that you're also involved in some clinical research and I would love to, anytime there's a plan involved, I'm in, I'm in love with these plants that have cancer cause a cancer fighting ability. So would love to talk about one that I have never talked about on this show, which is mistletoe. So we'll talk about that too, but describe to me the first time that you're actually putting these holistic, um, remedies and practice and seeing the benefits, what that must be like.
2: What are yeah, so- it's funny because anybody will tell you when they, you know, have gone down their career, they'll look back at some of the first patients that they treated and they were like, how did that work? Like, I would never do that that way now, knowing what I know. But, you know, they do. And actually, ironically, you'd mentioned your own dog. One of the very first cases I treated that I had really great success with was an osteosarcoma patient. And he- Good, tell um, me all about it. Cause I want to do everything. <laughs> <laughs> he um, actually had osteosarcoma of the rib. And so this oh, tends wow. to be even more aggressive than when it's a, a, a leg or, you know, another what they're called uh, appendicular skeleton. And so um, I met him after surgery and actually after chemo i i prefer to get them when they start chemo but he came to me after he had finished chemo already and at that time basically mom was like okay i've done everything i've done surgery i've done chemotherapy like what's next and um we put together a plan that included dietary modifications herbal supplements um, nutraceuticals specialized blood testing you know the gamut of things but I think what the big importance is that I feel like I've been emphasizing a lot lately, and that um, I think it'll be important for you to know and all your listeners to know is that people come to people people come to consult with me because they think that I have secrets and that I have magic and that I have things that you can't get anywhere else. But the reality of the situation is is that I'm just serving as like the conductor of the orchestra. Um, you, the pet parent, are the one that are going to be doing all the hard work, putting in all the effort, doing all the things day in and day out that are going to help to heal them. And although I, you obviously, we need to work as a team because I have the training so that I can bring those to you. None of this works without the pet parents. And so I think that what is most important, no matter what, Is that the owners understand that this is all gonna be on them? You know, this is the caregiver thing. And the same thing happens when it's a human patient, when I speak to my human colleagues. It's how much you put in, it's how much you get out. And, you know, with these natural therapies, it takes time, it takes money, it takes effort, it's a lot of work. And so you have to really be philosophically aligned with that and really believe in that. And if you really believe it's going to do something, it's really going to make a difference. And the reason I'm bringing that up now is because this owner was so committed and I don't just mean in what she was willing to do on the day to day. Cause most pet parents are, I mean, in her soul, she knew this was the right thing for him and she knew it was going to make a difference. And this dog prognosis at the time of diagnosis was an average of about eight months in about eight months. They usually go on to develop spread of their cancer somewhere else. And Bear died five years later of Uh completely unrelated issue. His cancer never came back. Awesome. And so I think that although holistic practitioners like myself and other ones um, obviously are going to help you to get you the best chances and all these tools that you've never heard of before, but at the end of the day, I'm not doing anything. The plants are healing and the owner's healing. So I think that's really important.
1: I love, I love that you say that. That's amazing. And when I love when, you know, when you've learned something and you put it into practice and you're like, and then you're like, no, wait, that's the way it's supposed to work. That is how it's supposed to work. So we understand feeding, you know, making sure that the diet is right. Explain to us what nutrient therapy, am I calling it right? Right therapy Mm -hmm. is what is that how does that help
2: the primary nutrients that i'm using is vitamin c that's a big cancer um, nutrient but there's other things that can be used whether there are things like glutathione or whether vitamin d is important that technically a hormone not a vitamin um whether it's amino acids whether it's um anti-inflammatory agents like DMSO, which horse people will all know, Um, I use those a lot in my brain tumor patients. Um, So basically it's just delivery of um, supplements. We don't have herbs in the United States that can be delivered IV and other countries they do. Um, But it's the delivery of a nutrient or a supplement um, via intravenous injection to basically bypass the GI tract allowing you to, if the patient has a, a unhealthy, leaky gut that maybe doesn't work, get it into them, um, higher doses than you'd be able to give if you were taking it orally. And sometimes, like in the case of vitamin C, doses that are given IV have different actions and activity than doses that are given orally. So it's about um, what you're trying to accomplish with those. So it's just using those same types of supplements you think of, but maybe at a more pharmaceutical type of approach. Right. And, and
1: also remember everyone, we have to start with the gut. So as she said, food therapy is the number one thing that we start to start doing first. And then depending on the cancer and the age and the dog, then you would decide what kind of um, additional therapies they would get. Uh, things like massage, acupuncture, they're good for any dog with any type of disease, right?
2: Yeah, there's really um, no patient that I would say it's not worth considering. There are some concerns, theoretical concerns that float around that I am always very comfortable shooting down and explaining to owners why I don't care about them. The biggest one being that both of those modalities increase blood flow. So, you know, there are a massage therapist and acupuncturist, they will not directly stimulate by pressing on or needling a tumor, Um, but doing acupuncture or massage therapy on a patient who has cancer is not contraindicated. There's thousands of published articles in human medicine about the benefits of those in patients undergoing chemotherapy or radiation therapy or other cancer treatment. So um, yes, because it can help with side effects of chemo, pain, fatigue, anxiety. Um, Most of patients who have cancer are seniors. So they're just generalized stuff that they have going on otherwise. So that probably acupuncture is one of my most commonly used cancer treatments. So yeah, I, or, or supplemental treatments for cancer patients, I should say. Yeah.
1: Now, and I know from some other integrative vets that they're actually um, pressure pointing or including other herbs or mm-hmm. supplements
2: in where they press the needles. Have you done yeah. stuff like that? I haven't specifically other than B12. I use B vitamins for that, but I've heard of those homeopathic remedies, um, other types of injectables, homotoxicology formulas. So yeah, and that's like, the whole thing about that first comment you made. There are so many things to learn that you will just always be learning. So yeah, absolutely. So when you get the diagnosis of
1: cancer for your dog, I mean, there is so much. There is like, you know, with my own dogs, like I don't wanna bombard them with everything. Um, so I, what I love is that, can they do a consultation with you? Can someone do a
2: consultation with you on uh, telemedicine? So um, I would love to say the answer is yes, but the pandemic, as I'm sure you know, has been very hard on veterinarians. Our caseloads have gone up very much and we've been a bit overwhelmed. As of right now, I'm not currently taking telemedicine patients because my practice is very full, but we are actively working on um, some additional distant patient protocols, basically so that eventually clients will be able to go onto my website and request a supplement plan or dietary support. Awesome. So other things that they can do, um, if they're not able to come to travel to be able to see me in person. So stay tuned for that. It's definitely, um, something that I'm continuing to work on because as you know, there's very few oncologists that are trained in holistic medicine. And so there is a wide patient need with very few people who can help them, um, so um eventually it's
1: coming (laughs) good well thank you I mean you're in New Jersey so if any right you're in New Jersey so if anybody's in your area you're lucky to have you Uh, but you're right when you're when you're faced with cancer and your choices are very slim to none it's very difficult um you know I know here where I am there's very few choices but I know wonderful people across the country so it's always like a Giving them, call, giving them a call and remembering what you just said is that it is up to us, the pet parents, to find you, follow you, do what you ask us to do, because if we don't, it's not going to work and we have to do it that way. We have to take another break. When we come back, I want to talk about some of the clinical research trials that you're working on and talk about mistletoe when we come Great. back.
0: It's A Dog's Life we will be back once we take our sponsors out for a short walk.
1: so it seems like a smart investment.
2: Look for Smart Pots in close to 2,000 garden centers throughout North America and ask for the original fabric container. Find a store near you or order yours online at SmartPots.com.
0: Stop barking up the wrong tree. We're back with more of It's a Dog's Life with Angela Ardolino, only on Cannabis Radio.
1: We're back with It's a Dog's Life and I'm with Dr. Kendra Pope and we're talking about um, cancer unfortunately and holistic modalities that exist out there that are actually working and you're actually involved with some clinical trials and I love that. Um, I can't tell you how many times I've wanted to you know back in 2015 I was like I don't know how the heck to even start a clinical trial so I'm gonna start just treating my animals on my rescue farm. I went to school for it. I know how it works. Let's start seeing if this works. What are some of the clinical trials that you're involved in? And I I can't even imagine how do you choose what you want to try first?
2: Yeah, there's so many exciting things that could be investigated, but ultimately at the end of the day, how you choose is really based on um, if you can design a trial, a well-designed trial to answer a question. part of the the biggest problem with clinical research in alternative treatments and holistic treatments and herbal medicine is that um, funding is really difficult to get. And so you do have to have something that maybe a specific person has a specific interest in. Maybe there's funding options for um, a specific cancer type that maybe a donor has donated money for. So unfortunately, the first thing that oftentimes will motivate what you're going to study is is where is the funding? Um, Because at the end of the day, if you can't get money to do the trial, it doesn't matter how important the question is, um, it's not going to get answered. And that stinks, but that's the reality. Um, the second way that you decide and how a lot of this even happens in the pharmaceutical industry and in the conventional, you know, side of things. You start seeing the same thing over and over again. And as a clinician, you say, hmm, that's interesting. I wonder if there's something here and then that takes you down a rabbit hole to say maybe this is worth looking at because there's a wider application for this or there's a consistent application for this. Um, So that's usually where it starts but then it does get very complicated because in order for you to have a very well-designed clinical trial that's likely to get funded, that's likely to get accepted and get past the reviewers, you need to have, so that it can be published and then have a clinical impact, you have to have a really well-done clinical trial and uh, design, which oftentimes involves getting epidemiologists, statisticians, things like that. And so um, as an oncologist, part of your board certification, and this is true for almost all of the veterinary specialties, you have to publish a paper. So you do learn about this more so than if you don't do a residency. And so um, I was involved with a clinical trial looking at the benefits of acupuncture concurrently with chemotherapy and dogs with lymphoma when I was a resident. And so putting together a trial and getting a grant for that as a resident helped me to really say, okay, this is how you start. Because if you've never done something, you don't know how to do it. So, um, that was a project I was working on in my residency. More recently, there's been more herbal, um, clinical trials that are ongoing. So one of them is looking at a completely herbal protocol for the treatment of splenic hemangiosarcoma. So after a patient would get their spleen removed from a splenic tumor and determined it would be hemangio, it unfortunately has a very poor prognosis. And so a lot of owners choose not to do chemotherapy or, uh, so then those patients would go on to get this herbal protocol. And so that's something that's unro- enrolling and um, due to the pandemic and difficulty getting things has been put on hold. So this is part of the reason clinical research can also be frustrating. It takes a long time. <laughs> the yeah. other
1: protocol. Yeah. I think what's so interesting is like you, you know, you sent, you sent me down a mistletoe black hole and yeah. you know, it's kind of like a uh, cannabis or these you know are mushrooms these medicinal mushrooms it's out there the research has already been done it's already been proven and we still hear nothing about it so these black holes folks are important because this information isn't you know out there for us to to readily find or your bed is not going to go hey have you looked into mistletoe for cancer killing properties no so these black holes are important um but You were um, tell me about mistletoe because I loved that black hole and now I want to get some
2: yeah so. It's actually the most widely used alternative cancer treatment in the world. It's been used for over a hundred years. It just had its hundredth year anniversary and, um, it's not alternative at all in places like Germany and Switzerland and Europe. It's completely mainstream conventional oncologists prescribe it alongside chemotherapy all the time. And there are actually many, many, many published research papers about it. Um, there, um, It is not approved by the FDA. So you are unable to get it in the United States. There are um, compounding pharmacies that compound it for the use um, of migraines. And that is how we are able to access it to treat patients. There is a huge um, clinical trial going on at Johns Hopkins right now for human patients with stage four cancer. And I think that they either are almost done enrolling or they've finished enrollment. And so that should be published soon. So at least there's going to be some degree of clinical impact because I'm guaranteeing you that they're seeing amazing results. Um, So it is um, housed. This treatment is housed under a larger um school of holistic therapies called anthroposophic medicine and um these remedies are are similar in some sense to homeopathic remedies in the sense that they um are in these glass ampules but um there is detectable amount of the plant material in them, which is unlike homeopathic remedies. And um, the way that they it works is that if you look at the characteristic of, of mistletoe, which you have studied plant medicine, so you understand this. When we first were learning about properties of plants, we always looked at what they did in nature to try to get an idea of what um, purpose they would serve. And so um, mistletoe is actually a parasitic plant. If you look at it, in trees, it's actually killing the host tree around it. It parasitizes it. And it's uh, found in many different host trees, fir, apple, um pine and it's named for the host tree it parasitizes and it takes on the characteristics of that tree so these different strains of mistletoe can serve different properties and can be used in different areas of the body so when you learn how to practice mistletoe therapy you actually pick the strain based on the cancer type the patient in front of you different personality traits that they have oh i can't wait till we get that way with cannabis won't that be (laughs) nice Yeah. Well, any plant should be right. handled this way. Yeah. It's a. It's you know, people in Western, uh, you know, my my colleagues, my clients. What do I use to treat X? I don't know. It doesn't have anything to do with that. Right. Right. <laughs> it. Tell me about the patient. Tell me about the cancer. Tell me about the. Oh, I love that you're saying else. that. I love that you're saying that. And yeah. it, that's a very difficult shift, and people don't like that because it's not mm. easy. <laughs> right. <laughs> but it's the truth. So this plan is fascinating because it can have very strong effects. And you asked me earlier, what were some of the earliest cases you had that had great success? And another one of my very, very, very early cases was a 11 month old golden retriever with stage five T cell lymphoma. Like it doesn't get worse than that. And the owner decided not to do chemo because the prognosis was horrible and she was a baby. And she was like, well, what else can you do? And so I was like, you know what? I just learned about this. I feel like we should try this. And the mistletoe that I used was actually very special because it was donated to me by another pet parent who had bought it for their golden retriever who passed away before we could use it. And she really wanted me to save it until there was a patient that I felt like it was really good choice for. And I was like, let's try this. And that dog went into remission and stayed in remission for a year. And so there's definitely something, and, and she didn't have, I, I didn't, I wasn't doing all the other things at that time. Cause I just, I had a tiny toolbox then I have a huge toolbox out. And so that's not going to happen with every case. I've used it multiple times since then that hasn't happened, but there is definitely like all these modalities. There are, are things here that we haven't yet figured out because there's, you know, the plants are so complicated. The patients are so complicated. We can't do these nice neat clinical trials. And so, um, it can be very powerful and um, the literature, although I, there's about five published papers in animals. There are published papers in animals and they use it a lot more in Canada because they can access the real stuff. Um, and so there are definitely people that are learning about this and using this and and exposing more pet parents to it.
1: So would you call mistletoe another adaptogen that's out there that would work?
2: No. Well? I definitely wouldn't call it an adaptogen. I'm a David Winston student. So I'm very strict with what I call adaptogens. He wrote the book and he's very strict about it. So I would not call it an adaptogen. Um, I look at it as, I tell my clients, it's a little bit immunotherapy with a little bit cytotoxic therapy. So, and that's how a lot of these work is they're not just directly killing cancer cells, although there's some evidence for sure that mistletoe can do that. They also are helping the immune system to do what it inherently knows how to do that has been overcome for some reason, which
1: is one of my favorite things about cannabis. So I Mm -hmm. love it that there's this Mm -hmm. thing. I mean, you really have to think about, you know, how all of these plants, um, exist. Um, is it. So mistletoe, I remember seeing mistletoe the first time in Dallas when I was like, oh really, it's growing in the trees. And I remember yeah. learning how it's killing the tree and it's not good and whatever. And me going, why do we kiss under it then on Christmas? I'm so confused. It's like a fungus, not a fungus. Is it What is it?
2: It's not a plant, is it? Or yeah, is it, it is. a parasitic it is. plant? Is that what you call it's it? It's a parasitic plant. Yeah, that's what I call it. I'll have to look back at my notes to see if they call it, call it anything else. But yeah, no, because there's leaves um, the branches and the the berries, you know, so no, you definitely, and you can make proper tincture out of it. Uh, the, the, the oral tincture I use for other things, but, um, this is like a very specific, um, extracted version that we're talking about. It's uh, slightly different how it's prepared than like our regular tinctures are.
1: Well, awesome. Thank you so much for sharing this information. How can people find more about you and what you're doing?
2: So, you can find me on my website, drkendrapope.com, just drkendrapope.com. You can find me on social handles Instagram, Facebook, YouTube, at drkendrapope, the same thing. Um, we are always trying to add informational content, videos, um, Wellness Wednesday talks. Um, just trying to really disseminate the information because, you know, the part that's so upsetting is that when pet parents always say, I wish I'd known about this sooner. I wish we had found you sooner. I wish we knew that this existed. And so, you know, getting back to our original point is that our pet parents are their pet's best advocates. We're all just trying to kind of send it out there so that we can share with one another.
1: Well, we appreciate that so much. Thank you so much for everything you shared with us today. And I want to have you back on again, especially when you talk more. Yeah. When you start (laughs) using even newer things, I love it. Awesome. Nothing better. Don't, don't get stuck in the past. Keep on finding what these wonderful things are that exist there. And thank you so much for being one of those amazing integrative vets. We appreciate your time. Thank you. Have a good one.